Acts chapter 1. We are going to be attempting part two of what will ultimately be a three-part series on missions. Christian missions, the mission of the church, mission, global missions, taking the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. Why? Why bother? Because that's what our calling is. The proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, and the ends of the earth also include Fulton County, also include our homes and our workplace, but it also means the end of the earth, the ends of the earth, the jungles, the deserts, everywhere. It's part of our purpose as Christians. Last week, we we started to think about missions from... The perspective of God. We want to know God's mission or God's purpose in order that we might know ours. And that's what we spent all last Wednesday talking about. And um, what we came to conclude was that God's mission or end game, so to say, is the kingdom of heaven upon earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's uniting all things in Christ, all things in heaven and on earth. Uh, and we looked back, and this this is sort of a series where you have to kind of do a recap. It's kind of hard not to. We, thought, we talked about God's mission as seen in creation, in the covenants, and in the prophets. And how the, the mission or purpose of God was to spread his kingdom throughout his creation through his, his second in command, Adam. Um, to fill the earth, multiply, take dominion, subdue and take dominion over all creation. Not just the garden. And we ran into the fall. We ran into to Satan, uh, how Satan uh, established his kingdom uh, within that through deception of Adam and Eve. Sin entered and death followed. Darkness covered the earth. I thought I was thinking about that today. God spoke in the beginning and there was light. Satan finds himself on earth and speaks. And following that is darkness. And now you see where I'm going though, right? As we think about the word coming back again, which we're going to get to in John here in just a minute. And we know it, Jesus as light. So after the fall, God continues his mission. Doesn't It's not plan B. It's not what do I do now? But he continues his mission through um, his covenants with Abraham, 
Moses, David, sort of piecing together what he's doing. And then the prophets start speaking about what the, the, the covenants were saying and start uh, making promises and prophecy about how those covenants were going to be fulfilled in the future. Uh, Isaiah spoke of uh, eternal reign of a son of David. Daniel spoke of a kingdom over all nations and kingdoms that will never be destroyed and that everyone would serve that king and that kingdom. So then we stopped there. And now, so we've gone through creation, covenants, prophecy. Now the next step is the gospel. Right? That's the pattern. That's the way... That's as I said son, last this last Sunday. That's the way the story is going. Um, all of it has been pointing to this ever since the fall. All of it has been pointing to this, and I believe I spoke of last week and said that the 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 climax, the apex of this story was known even before the fall even before the creation. That God was going to make heaven on earth through his son. So that's where we get now in Acts. And so I want you to see some things in Acts um, as we think about how this, this, this story or this mission of God starts to intrude into the New Testament starts to reveal itself through the person and work of Christ. Um, before we read Acts, what what does Jesus come on scene? And he, it says that he goes throughout all the all he goes throughout all Judea, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Um, he says the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled as if it had been planned in purpose. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And therefore you should repent and believe in the gospel. That's Jesus' words in his preaching. And see, and Israel's been waiting for this because they've been here. They know the covenants. They've been hearing the prophecy and they've been waiting for this. And Jesus has come on the scene and he has done these signs, these wonders, these miracles. He's preached with such authority and power. He dies and then raises from the dead. And you know the apostles were like, it's time. It's over. I mean, the guy just came back from the dead. Look at Acts 1, verse 3. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That's so interesting. Speaking about the kingdom of God. Teaching. In those 40 days he was there teaching about the kingdom of God. And then verse Six. And so when they had come together, his disciples, they asked him, 
Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because it's time. You just rose from the dead. You've put off. You, you, yeah, it's time. What does he say to them? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But when you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now let's stop. Notice their language. Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And that's true. That was part of what was being fulfilled. But Jesus had to set them straight. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the kingdom isn't just going to be restored for the sake of Israel. But the plan is to save the world. Which gets us to John 3 and where we'll spend most of our time. So what we're going to see this evening, what our focus is, is we spent we spent last week thinking about sort of the the will of God and the purpose and mission of God and how we were piecing it together in the Old Testament. Well, today or tonight, we're seeing it break through in the gospel, specifically in the Son. And then next week we're going to come back for our final final thought and look about look at how this has gone not just to the son but then he leaves and leaves the mission to the his body. So it was God son body but what's the body filled with? The spirit. So we spoke about the will of the father Tonight we're speaking about the work of the Son, and then next week we're going to see the Spirit of God indwelt in the body of Christ to go and to continue the mission. So that that's sort of what the, the plan is, Lord willing. Um, John 3, 16 and 17. John 3, 16 and 17. What we're going to do here is we're going to p- take apart verse 16 and 17, and then let John and some other places inform us as we think about mission and purpose of God in the Son, in the gospel, and how it's bringing the kingdom to fill the world. So we'll still move around, but our our main focus is 16 and 17 in John 3. Now, here's the problem. This is a very familiar verse. And when you become very familiar with things, it tends to become... Help me. Give me some... Dull. That's a good one. Right. It loses its edge, its sharpness. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't... The power tends to fade. Yeah. No, that's good. So we gotta, we have to make sure, make sure this, doing this makes me want to just say, let's just go through John, but we can't do that. Um, Lord knows I'm not ready for that. 
Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Stop. We got to stop. Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we just, remember, we're talking about, see, see, it's not just about saving people. That's not just what's happening here. But God is doing something. He's fulfilling something. He's, he is accomplishing something. Right? And now he's doing it through a person. And key words, world and son. World and son. What's the mission? The world. How is he going to accomplish it? His son. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. Again, we feel feel the themes, feel the the common denominators. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. What is implied then about the world based on that? What's implied? Don't 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 overcomplicate it. Right. What's the opposite of light? Darkness. Darkness. The tr- There's no reason for light to come in unless it's dark. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So there's the. Um, there's what we're after. The world. He was in the world. That would be the true light. But we've also established that this was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. All right. So there's a we just see a relationship there. The relationship between the between the world and its creator. So what's that relationship? What's the relationship between the world and its creator? Yet the world did not know him. Darkness. When we think about knowledge and revelation, we think of light. When we think of ignorance or not knowing, it's darkness. The relationship between the creator and his world was darkness. What we're seeing here is why John 3.16 takes place. Because the world needs to be saved. And the light is what has to bring Salvation and redemption. Man is blind and fallen, unaware, unaware of its creator in the fullest sense. And God sends his son into the world which he loves. God sends his son into the world which he loves. Now let's go... Oh, well, let's see. Verse 11, it's even more sad. 
in verse 11. And this is helpful as we're walking through Matthew and thinking about Israel's uh, response to their own Messiah, as we talked about last week. Verse 11 in chapter 1. Not only did he come into the world, but he came to his own. So that's a that there's a distinction. I don't know if that's the right word, but it says he came into the world, and the world did not not know him. But it also says he went to his own. That would have been his kinsmen, the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. Darkness, rejection. All right, now go back to 3.16. For God so loved the world, there's the object, the world, that he gave his only son, the, the means to save the world, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever believes in him should not perish. Now, why... Would they perish? What and that comes right. That answer comes right out of what we said. Their God was before them. Their Creator was before them, and they knew Him not. Now, unless you rightly understand who God is, that really doesn't matter. That that I was like, oh, they didn't know God. Well, that's not a big deal. Not knowing God means living a life against the will of God. That's those uh, those are in, those are related, tied together. The only way to live a life pleasing to God is to know God. So that's why you see in verse. Uh, 19, what the big deal is. Why would they perish? Verse 19, and this is the judgment, okay? We're going to make a judgment. A judgment is being made. Verse 19, the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's a little bit more detailed than what we got in John in chapter 1. Chapter 1, we see that the world did not know him. But in chapter 3, verse 19, John gives us a little bit more. And it, it's one of the difficulties about John chapter 3, if you didn't know, is and there's a lot of debate about what's being said by Jesus and what's commentary on John. Not that it really matters, but, you know, it, it just is this, it doesn't matter. Uh, I don't even know why I brought it up. This is the judgment. So not just that the world did not know the light, but they loved the darkness. They loved the darkness rather than the light. They loved the evil rather than loved their God. Right. And then so you think about 1 John chapter 1, and it says uh, God in or. In him is no darkness. God is light. In him is no darkness. And so to not know God is to live in and after evil. 
And to not know God is to actually love evil. And then so therefore, when the light comes, notice, when the light comes, they love the, the, their, the darkness so much they would not come to it. Because those, because when light shines, it reveals truth. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. Verse 20. So why will they perish? Right there. So this is... This is the this is the condition of the world. See, this is this is why we have to think about the gospel in this capacity, because this is a this is the fruit of Genesis three. Right. Genesis one, we had God speak. There was light. It was good. He made man, sent them out to do a job. Satan comes, brings darkness, sin, death. And we get to however many thousands of years later, and the world loves the darkness. So the mission is still at hand. God, the interesting thing, the interesting thing is that the world loves darkness rather than the light. But John 3.16 says that God still loved the world. That he gave his only son. So now we got to keep thinking through this. Look at verse 20. Uh, sorry, one more thing. Chapter 2, I'm sorry. Verse 24. But Jesus on his but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. <laughs> That would be those who believed because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And goes back to the heart that we talked about Sunday morning. But whoever believes not only doesn't perish because that's judgment, judgment and condemnation for their ignorance of God and their loving wickedness. But on the flip side, those who believe in the one whom God sent into the world have eternal life. Now we have to think of eternal life is actually an eschatological theme. It's an, an because what, eternal life is forever, right? This kingdom that God is bringing to the earth is what forever. Um, David to David, your throne shall be established forever. To Daniel, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never end, be destroyed, and it shall stand forever. 
eternal life is connected to the mission of God, not just in a personal destination or a personal uh, personal um, afterlife, but it's being connected to the kingdom that has no end, to an eternal kingdom. And Jesus tells Nicodemus at the beginning of this chapter that those who are born of God enter that kingdom. Those born of God enter the eternal kingdom. He's transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of of it's not light what does he call it we just read it the kingdom of his beloved son okay go back to verse 17 for god did not send his own son god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, again, this gives us an idea about the mission of the gospel, the mission of the Son. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This one's kind of tricky. Because this is a verse you're um, trying to think of a nice word. You're liberal Christian uses to water down sin and judgment. Because they'll point to this verse and say, Jesus does not condemn. They'll say that. I've heard them say that. But the problem is, is they haven't read the next couple verses. So what what does it mean when Jesus says, I've come into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world? Does Jesus not condemn? Does he only show grace? Just so we have it in our heads, flip over to John 5, verse 27. And he, God the Father, has given him, Jesus the Son, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Paul is in Athens and he tells these men, these Gentiles in Athens that there will be a judge There will be a judgment, and God has appointed a man to judge all people. And he has approved that man 
by raising him from the dead. Let me read it for you. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So how does Jesus not come to condemn but to save the world? I think about Second Peter and the patience of God, right? How the the moment of Christ coming is is the day of salvation, and His return will be the end of that day. So we have that time frame from His first advent to His second, where He is not condemning. Where the mission is going forth throughout the world, the gospel through his body in order that people might be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And there is no condemnation in that time from the son. But when he returns, he will judge the living and the dead. So what's happening simultaneously, though. While he is spreading the glorious kingdom, while the light is going forth, judgment is being stored up. This is very much, this is very much pushing us thinking always about the, just, it's just always connecting the first and the second advent of the, the grace and the gospel of God working towards an end. Eschatology to the last things. That's what's happening. Um, so, to help us think about this simultaneous thing happening, the, the, the grace of God going throughout all the world to save the world, but yet it says he will judge the world and he will condemn the guilty... Look at Matthew 13. I'm really excited to get to this chapter uh, for these parables. So we're going to get a sneak peek at one of them. We read it last week, but we didn't talk about it. One thing to keep in your mind as we go to Matthew 13 on on our Sunday morning series, that if you overanalyze a parable, you're going to get it wrong at some point. So I just want us to pick up the basic principle that's happening in Matthew 13, verse 24 through 30. And we'll read the parable. We're almost done here. We're not going to take much longer. We'll read the parable, and then we'll read the explanation. Verse 24, Matthew 13. And he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while, he, while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it, does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, 
lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. So, in case you, instead of lest, in order that you don't gather up the goods along with the bad, don't go gather the weeds yet. Verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now jump down to 36. Then Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, now pay close attention. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. So we can't get that one wrong, okay? The field is the world and the the sower of the seed is, is the son of man. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. That's the great thing about this parable. You don't have to guess on the the analogies there. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Now think back to the garden. And from the garden, there is the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of... The woman. From that moment, there has always been, I don't want to say sides. there's There's always been two family trees. And this is what that's telling us. Again, it's a big picture thing. It's not. It, it, this isn't just. This isn't just trying to see what's happening in the New Testament period. And you know, this is a big picture thing. But then it goes straight to the end. At the at verse thirty nine. The end of the big picture. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. Now, this, you got to think about this, because if you read this wrong, you miss something huge. And I've read it wrong forever. Go back to verse 41. The Son of Man will send his angels and will gather. We start we're like gather. Oh, gather out of his gather out of his kingdom. What? Not his saints, not the not the good seed, not the no, he's gonna gather out of his out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fire furnace. Where is his kingdom? On earth. Do you see that? That's the fulfillment of the mission and plan and purpose of God. That the kingdom is on earth and that he's not going to be pulling out his good seed and pulling it away from earth. 
but he's pulling out the weeds from earth while the kingdom is now heaven on earth. Verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, which is in the world. From that time, just then, then what is that pointing to? Revelation 21, 22, right? That shining, the righteousness, the kingdom being that is just throwing itself out there at us. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So that there you see the two things happening simultaneously. All the while, God's still fulfilling his purpose. And it's through his son, the son of man, right? That's how it's happening. So I, I just I want to I want you to quickly see, and this is how we'll finish. We're gonna rapid fire a few verses here to see this, to see how the fulfillment of God's purpose takes place through His Son. Now we started last Sunday with one, but I think we can look at it again in Ephesians one. And hopefully, even after tonight, it might be a little bit more clearer. These first one, two, three, no, these four, this is a whole nother sermon, but I'm just going to tell you so you'll see it. It's accomplished, this, this is accomplished through the, not just the sun, but specifically through the cross, right? It's specifically through the cross, through the blood, through what Israel would call atonement. The atonement. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Now hang on to that and because... When you, when you read Colossians 1 like we did earlier, you've been transfer, trans, uh, delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred in the kingdom of his beloved son. He says at the end of that, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And so that whole idea of going from one kingdom to the other, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, it doesn't happen apart from atonement, blood-bought redemption. That's why Paul says, in him you have redemption through his blood. You cannot enter into his kingdom apart from being covered by his blood. The forgiveness of your trespasses. Because as he hung on the cross, he paid for your transgressions, for your trespasses. According to the riches of his grace at the end of verse 7, which he lavished upon us. He, he poured upon us this, the riches of his grace through Christ in all wisdom and insight. That's light, 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 not darkness. Making known light, light, revelation to us the mystery, 
of his will. The mystery seems to think about cloudiness. According to the purpose. So we're seeing more clearly the purpose of God through Christ. It includes his cross. It includes forgiveness. It includes his kingdom coming upon earth. This purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Now flip over to Colossians 1 again, but a different part of Colossians 1. Verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. How? By the peace of the blood of his cross. Uh, as we're, we'll just keep going in that direction. First John. Chapter 2, verse 2. Again, we see the scope. We see the scope. Not only do we see the scope, but we see the means in chapter 2, verse 2 of First John. He is the propitiation of our sins. Kids say propitiation. It is the wrath-appeasing sacrifice. That's wrath-appeasing sacrifice. Christ is that. And not for ours only, he tells his audience, his, whoever he sends his letter to, but for the sins of the whole world. I've not come to condemn the world, but save the world. That's the scope. The nations. The whole world. Now, lastly, Colossians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Might as well start at 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So when we think about reconciliation, we talk about bringing together um, two people. But you can also reconcile heaven and earth. Right? That's what's happening. Bringing together heaven and earth. A ministry of reconciliation. Not counting their trespasses against them. There's the forgiveness, the redemption part. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How? How are we to be reconciled to God? For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Apart from verse 21, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In order to be a citizen, a saint of the kingdom of heaven, you must have the forgiveness of your sins, but also be counted as righteous. And that righteousness is not yours, but it's Christ that he earned with every day, every moment, every breath he took without sin. And as he hung on the cross, you gave him your sin. The Father put upon him your sin in order that it might be forgiven, in order that you might be cleansed, in order that you might be cleaned and purified. But that is not enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must then be counted righteous as you gave Christ your sin. He gives his righteousness and puts it in the account of those who believe. By faith, Abraham was counted as righteous. Counted. Not de- not, not, not made, not carried, but counted. Because it's the righteousness of Christ. Now, just here's how we're going to move into next week. What we have just described is the gospel. And this is the power of salvation. The gospel. This is the this is the power which which with which God will accomplish his mission on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what we have. And we know the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when you look at the end of Luke and you hear the Great Commission uh, as Luke delivers it to us, it says, from Jesus to the disciples, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Take the gospel to all nations. That's the mission. So next week, Lord willing, we'll come back and we'll see how the church, how the body of Christ. It's always good to think about head and body because it's still, they're attached, right? They're attached. So we, we don't think about us as the body separate from the head. But as the body goes, so goes the head. Lo, I will be with you always. Right? Okay. Thoughts, questions, confusions?